Hello, welcome to Modern Animism Radio. I'm your host, Laura Giles, and I've got a guest for you today. I'm with Carrie Alexander, who's a journalist, author, and philanthropist whose mission is to highlight all the good that's in the world. She's all about being the change that we want to see, and I'm certainly all about that, too. So let's pause to give gratitude and then get right to her. Acknowledge the element of Earth, and thank you for bringing us safety, stability, and security. And also thank you for all the material things that give our existence meaning and make it possible. I acknowledge the element of air, and thank you for giving us wisdom, creativity, and intelligence to discern when something is right for us or not. And I thank you, Air, for providing us with the oxygen that we breathe that keeps us alive. I acknowledge the element of fire and give gratitude for the passion that stirs us into action and gives our lives meaning. I acknowledge and give gratitude to the element of water for helping us to flow, keep us moving, and go deep and stir the things up so that we can grow. I give thanks to the loving, helping ancestors from the human, plants, animal, and mineral realms, and thank you all for the ways that you help us that are seen and unseen. And I give thanks to our listeners for your time, support, and donations. If you like our show, please consider giving something back by writing us a review or a comment. They help our Google rating so others can find us more easily. So thank you. So Kari, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me today. Sure. Thanks for being here. Um, I think shining your light in is an amazing way that we can all um, do consciously every day to make the world a better place. So um, how did you choose to make that your lifestyle? You know, I, I, I've thought about this uh, for quite some time. Um, everything I've done has been, um, I feel like, a spiritual calling or led to do. But it starts with uh, where I was raised. I was raised in rural Kentucky, in basically the woods of Kentucky, in a very, very small community. And when we were there um, growing up, we all helped one another. It wasn't something that you had to verbalize or ask for. We just mm-hmm. automatically would help somebody out. If somebody was sick, you went and you mowed their yard or you brought them dinner or you would carry their other family member to the grocery store. Or we had to learn how to depend on one another too, because we were so remote. We had a volunteer fire department. So, you know, my dad being one and cousins and whatever. So if there was a fire, we'd sound a bell and they'd all go running. Um, So I grew up watching people believing that's how you interacted and our spirituality was the centerpiece of our community. And that is how we socialized and we gathered. And so, um, and also being in rural Kentucky, I spent a lot of time outside. So for me, being outside is a great way to be connected with the universe and the world. And prayer has always been my coping mechanism. And I've always felt like if I can help somebody some way, somehow um, I should do it. And so I'm instantly compelled to do it. It's just part of who I am. And then when I was in journalism, um, I was in broadcast journalism for over a decade. I traveled around the United States. I interviewed everyone from serial killers to presidents. And I was in a lot of natural disasters that I would see. And so natural disasters, bombings, what have you, what I saw was catastrophe, pain, suffering, yes, But then I saw the most amazing people stepping up, these heroes that were running in the direction of harm to go help people. And and I saw so many more of those people that give their shirt off their back or open up their home, far more than the people doing bad things in the world, except 
when I was in journalism, you heard more about the people doing the bad stuff and not all the people doing the good stuff. Yes. (laughs) And and that leads to a lot of depression, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. You're withdrawing. You're not putting yourself out there in the community. You're not maybe knocking on your neighbor's door because you're like, I don't know who that neighbor is. (laughs) Instead of, hey, I want to get to know you. Because I might need your help one day, or you might need my help, or I just want to get to know you. Um, So it has been my life's journey to help when I can and to shine a light on all these people. And then also to empower people to know the smallest kindness. You'll never know the essence that it leaves behind. Over and over again, I found in my life and the things that I do, sometimes it just requires showing up. You know, if you show up uh, at a a flood, which I can tell you about later, but if you show up at a town that's been devastated by flood, you don't have to be an expert carpenter. You don't have to be um, certified with the Red Cross. You don't have to be a grief counselor, but you show up and they're like, you care, you came. And that does an immense amount of good for psyche and um, people's ability to recover and to thrive. So I have oodles of stories about people doing that, but, and we're all empowered. We all have impact. And some people think they don't have amazing stories or that they can't help because they can't go to Africa and build a school. They think there's not much that they can do. It is amazing what people can do. And I train children to do that, um, that very thing. So I think if they're empowered at nine years old to go make a difference, imagine when they're 30. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I live my life. Talk about the what do you what kind of work do you do with children? Well, so I discovered working with kids, and I do have two of my own children. Um, it's so much fun to whiteboard with them because they are not blocked in with a lot of experience. So they think outside the box, and it's so fun because they think they're capable of doing anything. They have not learned um, that they can't. And so they are, um, they feed me as well as I try to feed them, so to speak. But anyway, what I discovered is when I was doing, again, journalism, or my hometown was completely destroyed by an F5 tornado when I was growing up, we saw the path of that tornado the entire time I was growing up. Um, what I came to realize is you, everybody can do something. When that happens. So one of the things I do with kids is um, we explore uh, spirituality. I'm a Christian, so I make a Christian base and I let them know that. And um, but then they come and we talk about some problems that are going on in the world or something we may see in the newspaper. And so then we gather supplies. So we learn how, what are their needs? What do people normally need? We put together these things called blessing buckets and it is a bucket because in a disaster, you need a bucket to either carry water, bathe in, you know, all kinds of things. You can store things in it. Um, Toiletry, personal toiletry items, food. Um, So we have this whole thing put together. So the first thing we do is we start collecting supplies and we put together these blessing buckets. And then from there, then we decide by disaster what they might need. So one time they, it was around Christmas and the flood I I mentioned earlier, one of the floods was in South Carolina, a little town called Johnsonville, South Carolina. And these kids heard about, you know, this town got devastated. And so the kids were worried about them having Christmas with the, Mm -hmm. 
they have Christmas? Would they have presents? Would they, what would they do? So they collected supplies that people needed, but then they also collected enough toys for every child in that town to receive three presents. And so they decided they wanted to take Christmas to the kids. So we loaded up buses and we drove up to Johnsonville, South Carolina from Florida and they had Santa Claus appear. We, we fed the whole dinner. We had Santa Claus. We had uh, wrestling superstar, Chris Jericho heard about what the kids were doing and he came along and his kids were involved. And uh, then they helped rebuild homes. They helped clean up the yard. They helped put pine straw around stuff. They helped feed animals. They, um, so even though we couldn't let them have a hammer and nails, they worked their little tails up. They picked up trash. They did. I do a lot of training with them to let them know what is safe and what's not safe. But what's amazing when we go on these trips and we've been in Louisiana, we've been in South Carolina, we've been in Panhandle of Florida. We've been in South Florida. We've, we've done a multitude of things and it's hot and it smells like garbage and you wouldn't believe the things you'll find hanging in trees. And, um, and the only bathroom that they have is like a porta potty on the bus. And they, I mean, you just, you're just nasty. Well, most kids, including my own, when I ask them to do anything, it's like, Oh, (laughs) but you take them there and these kids work all day long. They're making food, they're handing out supplies, they're cleaning people's yards. And and they know, they see how much the people appreciate them and they see the need. And so we've done things like that. We've been to Nicaragua. Then like during the pandemic, they knew that there were so many people suffering from COVID or just shut in and alone. So they made prayer cases and it's pillowcases with little messages, positive messages for people in the hospital to have, to know that they were thought about. Um, they do things like that. They, um, we made hand sanitizer from scratch and gave it to homeless people. Um, so they're constantly thinking about, okay, here's the problem. Now, what can we do about it? And so now every time something happens, they're like, Oh, Miss Wagner, Miss, Miss Alexander, you know, what are we, what are we going to do? What are, you know, we can do this. Can we do that? And I'm like, we can do whatever you want to do. You just got to do the work. One little girl broke her wrist and she found out that um, the hospital didn't have a, a 3d printer that they could use to do surgery for little kids. And so we designed um, the world's biggest hug. We wanted to put more uh, hugs in the world. So we made that a fundraiser with the world's biggest hug. And we had people hugging in a multitude of countries. We had uh, kids in Israel and Palestine hug- hugging. We had uh, New York on Broadway. We had the Yankees. We had the Cubs. We had um, a huge hug here in Tampa. Now that was about when we could hug, <laughs> but <laughs> They raised enough money to get that um, 3D printer for the hospital to help kids, but then they spread kindness all over the world. It was amazing how many people participated in that. And um, so again, it's um, it's the simplest idea they could take off and and do something amazing. So it sounds like you have a network. Um, what do you do if you're you know you don't have a network but you want to do that kind of thing? Oh, let me, let me be honest with you. I do not have, I'm not big in social media. Um, I'm a more tangible person. In fact, I have a friend who helps me now with my social media. My kids laugh at me um, <laughs> because I'm not that good at it. So when 
I, I have a network. I'll tell you, I have amazing friends. I have amazing people I know in my life. Part of it is because I lived all around the United States when I was a journalist and I met all these incredible people. But really, honestly, part of, I think, the successes of the ventures that I've had is because I feel I'm called to do them. I feel like I'm compelled because there are things that happen with some of the projects I do that should never happen. It doesn't make any sense. It's like uh, I did after the Boston bombing uh, happened, the Boston Marathon bombing. It was really wild leading up to the bombing. I have bred um, this I paint. I love to paint. So um, it's very cathartic for me. So I had read this article about this, a man named uh, Chuck, and he had done this prayer canvas is what he called a prayer canvas world hunger. And what he did was he took a giant canvas and he gridded it out into squares and he let people put their prayers, write down their prayers Mm. and then paint over the top of them. Whereas you were like giving it up to God. And I thought, oh, how powerful. I love this, you know. And so it just always stayed in my mind. His name was Chuck Kaufman. So it just stayed in my mind. Never met him. Just read this article about him. Well, then the bombing happened and I was watching it. I never, I don't even think I'd ever been to Boston at this point in time in my life. Maybe one time. And I'm definitely not a runner. You'd have to be chasing me and I probably would stop and take my chances. Okay. So it's not like the marathon was a big thing for me either. But I happened to be watching it that day. And I saw the bombs go off and my heart just broke for those people. But I also knew that there were probably amazing people working right then and there. And I instantly wanted to show the world, okay, one or two people that, that they did one or two people did that. Now I want you to know how many thousands and millions are going to do something to make this better. And so instantly Chuck Hoffman's idea that he had came to mind. So with other six other women, we just got together, six other moms, and we started taking, I, I told them my idea of what I wanted to do. And they said, sure, let's do it. And so I got these giant canvases and we gridded them out into squares. And what I did was we started uh, working our way across the country, asking people to either you know, draw something, paint something, write something, didn't matter what your faith affiliation was, didn't matter how old you were, didn't matter how poor you were, didn't matter anything about yourself. It was open and free to everyone. And the thing grew um, to where it covered the entire Boston Common. So about the size of a football field. And we had people, we had people with disabilities. We had um, prostitutes who just, would cry because they couldn't believe they could sign it because they didn't feel like they had any self-worth and they couldn't do it. We had, um, uh, you know, people 101 years old, you know, sign, but it grew and it was so much positivity and uh, so many faiths. We would have Muslims, Sikhs, Christian Jews, all signing it at the same time. And it was just this amazing thing. And uh, we had Congress sign it. Democrats and Republicans signed it. (laughs) And so here we are carrying it into the Capitol. We're not an organized group. We aren't, you know, any kind of special, like approved, you know, we, no, it was just somehow we were there. We had the NBA, we had major league baseball. We had the commissioner sign. We had the Boston Red Sox had them 
but they had us come and present it on their field. We had the, at the one year anniversary, we had um, all the survivors, you know, sign their own. We, uh, it became a huge cathartic piece for Boston. And then we had like the vice president, you know, involved. All of that happened because we were supposed to do it. And we weren't anybody, uh, you know, that was real connected in Boston. We weren't anyone who, you know, was this major group with a network, you know, that we could send it out to. And social media really wasn't even that big then. We just started calling people we knew in, in different states. And we're like, hey, can we send this to you? And then the media started picking it up. And um, then when we were there, amazingly, it became this labyrinth of emotional support for people. And so they would walk through it day and night, reading all the messages. Some would mm-hmm. sit and pray, some would cry, some would, but over and over again, they said, you know what? The bombing brought me to my knees, but here today, it brought me to my knees to let me stand. And it was so powerful. And so that was seven moms who just got together with some paint pens, with a lot of paint pens and um, canvases. And um, so it still to this day is one of the largest emotional records in our country's history after a terrorist attack. And, um, you know, we didn't know what it was going to turn out to be. We just knew we wanted to show the world there was so much more good out there. And then the other thing is, think of Chuck Hoffman. I've tracked that guy down and said, see what your essence did. You did this amazing thing. And then you left it behind me. Still, I've never met him. But look what happened from what you did. You right. put yeah. it out there. Yeah. And now this happened. And I don't know what happened from that, the huge canvas that we did. But I'm sure it's something amazing. So that's why I try to tell people, don't think you have to have a lot of money a lot of time, a lot of influence, because everybody makes a difference. In fact, there is one gentleman I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, and he uh, lives in Tarpon Springs, Florida, and he owns a bicycle shop. And he heard this beautiful singing outside of his shop. So he felt compelled to go out and see who was singing. So he goes out there, and there's um, an African-American woman in her 70s, homeless, out there pushing a shopping cart with this amazing voice. She's singing these hymns and she's so emotionally involved in it. And at the end she finishes singing and he recorded it. He said, I don't do any of this stuff, but I I just felt like I needed to record. So you recorded her. And then at the end she praised God for getting her through the day. And she knew he would get her through the next day. And it was so heartfelt. And here's this woman, everything she has is in a shopping cart. And so he starts talking to her and he's like, I recorded you. Is that okay? I'd like to post this online to maybe help you out. So they started this friendship and he winds up getting her to the hospital and turns out she has early stage dementia. And so he got her off the street. He started a GoFundMe page, which is still up. And um, they're able to put her into an assisted living facility now for memory care. And then even better than that, I mean, it took off online. Now America's got talent is considering her for their show. Wow. <laughs> like, well, just one simple act. All he did was take the time to go outside and, and talk to this woman. And he has changed the trajectory of her life. And he was like, I, I, that's not what I set out to do. I just was so compelled. 
I felt a calling to go, you know, see who was singing. And I'm like, how incredible. So why do you think people don't embrace service like that? I think, honestly, I think some people, like when I was doing the prayer canvas, there were so many people that I traveled around the United States talking to about this. And they said, you know what? When something bad happens, I always want to do something, but I don't know what. And it's not just about giving money because a lot of people, especially now, can't afford to give money. Some can and they do. And trust me, that is very important, very important, because a majority of money raised after a disaster or something horrible that happens, happens in the first kind of 48 hours. Mm -hmm. After that, it goes off the news cycle and people forget about it, like hurricanes, you know, wipe out entire cities and you hear about it and you're like, oh, it's so awful, it's so awful, it's so awful then you don't hear about them anymore because the news has moved on, but they're still struggling immensely. So I think for people, one, they, they're not sure what to do. Um, and two, um, but they want to help. And uh, also you can't, you can't have barriers to entry. You can't have a lot of red tape. Um, so you want to make it simple you want to get them involved and you want them to feel capable. And that's why I tell people all the time, like when I get people to go with me on, for example, a disaster relief trip, they come back and they're like addicted to it. They want to just keep going, but going there, they're like, okay, I don't know how to build a house. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. I said, yeah, but you, you know how to pass out water. You, you might know how to grill hot dogs. You might be able to, you know, pass out chips, <laughs> like, you know, so there's, there's something, or you might be able to keep an eye on the kids. I have raking over here, you know? And so then it's like, Oh, okay. I see my value. Um, but a lot of people seem to think of service as something that's really complicated and hard, or it's going to take up too much of their time, or it's, they're going to feel guilty by not donating money. And I think that is why. And that's why I'm trying to, you know, train these kids to come up going, there's a multitude of things you can do. You can make a poster, you can make a card, you can just show up. It doesn't have to be the same thing. And different people have different talents. You know, some people are gifted at building houses and they can go help or can drive a truck or, um, and then there's those who can cook. And then there are those who can't do any of that, but they can rake a yard or some that can't even rake a yard, but you can sit there and make sure that the food is passed out appropriately. So there's always something someone can do. So if you're um, listening to this and, and you're inspired, and you're just like, yes, I want to do something. This sounds so great. And you're one person, <laughs> you know, you're wherever you are in your city, in your small town. Um, mm -hmm. How do you find opportunities? Well, um, you know, it's interesting that you asked that because, yes, you can drown in a sea of opportunity because you, you know, don't know where to go look or, um don't know how to get involved. Like for American Red Cross, you have to be certified to go volunteer with them. Well, that a lot of people can't just go and do that. Um, so what I, you can, one, you can go to my website, which is carrythelight.com. And I, I tend to highlight the groups and organizations that I work with. They're trusted, like God's pit crew. That's the natural disaster team that I work with. I've worked with them for over a decade. So I know how they utilize their funds. I know how they go in. I know how they serve the underserved. I know um, that if I call them and I say, say like, we have a lot of immigrants down in Immokalee, Florida, who don't have water or electricity, and there's children out there. Um, 
I'll go down there uh, and I've got supplies, but I need someone to help me haul it. I know they're going to show up. I had people that owned moving companies after the hurricane and um, they, they brought their moving trucks and they would haul stuff for me. Um, And so now everybody kind of reaches out to me when something happens because Mm -hmm. they know I'm going to be connected in. But anyway, carrythelight.com. I can also, you know, there's also other things that you don't even think about. There's a guy in New Orleans. He started a company called Reunion Shoes. And what it is, is he takes, he employs people um, coming out of homelessness because there's such a hard transition for them from being homeless to living in shelter. Well, you think once you get them sheltered, good they're done no it's it's there's a lot that goes into being homeless so he what he does is he has this shoe company and they help make these shoes and they're painted and they're splattered and they look super cool and how I found them was I saw these shoes in a magazine I thought man those are cool looking tennis shoes I'm going to get some for my daughter and for me and then I read the story behind them and was like this is amazing and so when I talked to him that was his calling, you know, so over and over again, there's so many different creative ways that people are helping another woman I interviewed and her story is going to be airing soon. She had just suffered a really bad divorce. She lost her job during the pandemic and um, her kids are grown out of, you know, out of the nest. And she was like, what do I do now? Where do I live? Where do I go? Well, she's in an RV traveling across the country recording people's stories during the pandemic. And mm-hmm. so she started this whole project called who are we now? So it's it, the, you will find opportunities and ways that you didn't even realize were out there once you start searching. Um, but yes, I would say one of the things you want to make sure you're with a reputable organization. You want to make sure that you're with someone who really does help, especially if it comes to monetary things. But um but yes, they can. One of the places they can go is carrythelight.com. Well, it sounds like too that if you just get plugged into your community, and you can help your neighbors, you can help your, you know, the little kids in your neighborhood, the people at your church, or oh my gosh, I mean, like okay, like this show Ted Lasso that is on Apple uh, TV right now. It's an Apple original. Okay, the language is a little strong. Don't you know? I'm. It's an adult show. <laughs> okay. But the beauty of the show, if you watch it, and it's got some light and, and comedy to it, but it shows the simplicity of how you treat people and the impact that it has. I mean, just getting somebody's opinion is empowering to that person or listening or learning their name. All these like little nuances that we learned earlier on and we got really busy in our lives and we just started just kind of like letting those things go. That makes a huge difference. For someone to be seen, and like I said, like just showing up, um, Nashville, Tennessee. There's an organization there. It's called Hands on Nashville, and they have a great like app. For example, you sign up, and they send out push out uh, push notifications of things that they need. Like after the recent bombing that happened in Nashville, which um, uh, my friend's house got the windows got blown in on her. Yeah. Um, they um, but they instantly push out where they need volunteers, what they need volunteers for, or something they may need. So there are different things like that around. And and sometimes you may respond and sometimes you may not. But I still get those, even though I don't live in Nashville anymore. But there might be something that I can help them with. So there are lots of opportunities out there. But I would say a number one golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. 
even when you're in a bad mood, even when you're stressed out, even when you want to strangle your children. I mean, just still, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. Start with kindness and listen because you'll hear the need. Um, and just starting there, it can make a tremendous difference. So how has that made a difference, if you don't mind sharing, in your personal life? So with people around you? Um, it's It's made an incredible difference. I think um, once you start realizing, you know, the power that you have power to help other people, it helps you feel better about your life. You feel um, less anxiety because you know, if something happens to you, you're buoyed. You've got people around. People are always going to help. Um, sometimes you have to ask for it if it's not readily apparent. And that's okay, as long as you don't abuse it. But what I started to see is there is so much connectedness. And there's such a desire for people to help one another. And and so in my life, my kids have been able to see automatically, hey, there's a need. What are we going to do about it? Um, And it can be anywhere around the world. And um, you don't have to be famous. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be like uber talented, but you can do something amazing. You see kids all the time, inspiring adults. I mean, I tell adults all the time, these kids I work with, they inspire me because I'm like, wow, look what they're doing. And you know what they do do? I will tell you this, this I have seen these kids inspire their parents and other adults, because all of a sudden these kids are willing to get on a bus and go work their tails off. Then all of a sudden the parents are like, I need to start doing that. And then when people hear their stories, then friends of mine are like, okay, I need to do that. So I've had people as far away as Kentucky get their own, do their own collection of stuff, get a moving truck and drive all the way down here to Florida after, you know, we had a hurricane and just, I mean, work all day long, all the next day, and then drive all the way back. And um, so it becomes contagious. And um, I think it spreads hope. And when you spread hope and light, like the flicker of a candle can be seen from like a mile away in darkness. It's amazing um, that flame and how it catches on. And like I said, perfect example, Chuck Hoffman, you know, and in his story. And I had a lady come up to me and said, you know, you'll never know the essence of the projects that you've left behind. I won't. And that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because there is so much incredible good in the world. There's a lot of positive energy. And if we keep giving in to the dark side and fight darkness with darkness, we get nowhere. And I keep trying to tell people that over and over again, hate, darkness, um, not having any tolerance or acceptance or whatever. It gets you nowhere. You're just like this and nobody wins. Um, But if you start listening, respecting, giving, the giving is so much better than the receiving. And everybody feels that on, on Christmas and think how awesome you feel when you've got that perfect gift for somebody and you're just like, you can't wait for them to open it, you know, kind of thing. That's even more exciting than what you're going to open, you know? Um, so I think, uh, in my own life, it has shown me, uh, I already know good, good triumphs evil. And I've seen it over and over again. Um, and, but I've also seen the damage of one, one bad, but imagine if uh, maybe somebody had shown some kindnesses, right. to some of the people, 
maybe they wouldn't be doing the bad, you know, if it was caught earlier on, maybe if they felt a little bit more accepted, maybe if they didn't feel so ostracized, maybe if they didn't feel so bullied, maybe if they didn't feel like anybody cared about them. I mean, um, it could make a dramatic difference and you have no idea and you don't need to know. It's just that putting positivity out there in the world is something we all can do. I agree. And I also agree that it's not about uh, what you get back um, mm-hmm. and that you probably will never know. But do you have a story of something that, that you did find out, like how it rippled out into the world? Well, like, OK, there was um, a story of um, uh, oh, man, I feel so bad. I can't think of her name right now. Oh, my age is getting up with me. Uh, or maybe it's not enough coffee. Yeah. But um, anyway, there is one day I was driving my kids to school. And we were listening to NPR. I love to listen to NPR. And there was a story of a lady um, in Louisiana. And she had um, lost her daughter. In Katrina, she lost everything in Katrina, including her daughter who had just given birth to yeah. a son. So she was a single, single woman now raising her grandson. And she just could not stomach the thought of losing everything again. So she moved up farther into Louisiana and um, so rebuilt her life. 10 years later, here comes a flood and it takes everything she's got again. Mm -hmm. And um, so she, and so we just happened to be hearing her story uh, on NPR and, and the kids are just like, Oh, I can't believe that happened to her again. And they just really felt a need to help her. So I tracked her down through NPR and uh, I, I found her and she didn't have any cell service or Wi-Fi. She could only talk to me when she could get to the library there um, to be able to email me. But anyway, so we did a collection of school supplies because we heard there were three schools that were destroyed and uh, we collected enough supplies that we went to her neighborhood. We brought her all new furniture. We, we raised enough money to get her all the things that appliances, everything that uh, insurance doesn't cover mm-hmm. for her house. We helped clean up the entire neighborhood, fed the whole neighborhood, brought supplies for three different schools in the area. And then we had stuff left over. So we just started going out in the rural areas and, um, and handing out supplies and helping people too. And I thought, wow. I mean, think about, we just heard her story. And we, and we were states away and uh, we got hundreds of people to come on board and help and deliver her uh, things. So, yeah, it, it's amazing to me, uh, the prayer canvas over and over again. I hear stories anytime I go to Boston, I'm still recognized there from when we did the America for Boston prayer canvas. Um, and I'm amazed at the impact that it had um, on the doctor's on um, the nurses, on, you know, people who responded that day. Um, But yeah, over and over again, I hear the stories and, and I see it in our kids. Anytime they hear something bad going on in the world, they're thirsty to go help. And um, I think how incredible, you know, um, that they want to do that from writing letters. They did a letter campaign for a little boy who had cancer in the hospital that they heard about. Um, They just, it's constantly something and it's never the same thing, but, um, but yeah, it, it definitely makes a difference and it does trickle throughout the world because if your helps, 
you turn around, you know what it's like to need that help. You know what it's like to be on your knees. Mm -hmm. And um, once you've had that experience, you want to go help somebody else out uh, for sure. Do you have a book? Uh, Is that what your book is about? Helping? Yeah, I do have a book. Um, Well, I have another one in process too, which uh, talks about the genesis of why I, um, you know, live the way that I do or try to at least. And it all comes down to my little hometown in Kentucky. It's called Battletown. And it was a cast of characters. Oh my gosh. I did not even realize that they were such characters until I moved out. Um, But that, you know, everybody had a name there like red eye and frog and Pete and his son repeat. And I kid you not, but you know, what's so crazy is in this little bubble. I never heard or saw racism I never heard or saw anyone being made fun of because of a defect. There was even a guy named Red whose face was blown off from here down. And he looked scarier than Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger looked hot compared to Red. but And he only had a hole in his neck that he had to pour his nutrition down. He was never ostracized. Nobody ever made fun of him. There are plenty of people who... Uh, you know, either had a glass eye or a missing limb. And, but you know what, how our town treated it, that's what made them special and unique. And it was such an awesome characteristic. It was never viewed as a detriment. And so I grew up in this really wild way (laughs) and with these awesome stories, but um, so I'm working on that book right now. So that should probably be out in the next year. Unfortunately, it's going to take me a little while, but the other book is America for um, Boston prayer canvas. And you can get that on Amazon and it talks about the journey and the power of one little idea of connecting people through art, no less. Um, And the powerful stories, all the tons of stories that I heard over and over again from a person who was blind to, like I told you, the prostitutes that were like, wait, we can sign this? And seeing them all of a sudden realize that they had self-worth and the connection of the face and the commonalities and the power of it. I mean, I also remember one of my best friends, she's Jewish. And when we did the prayer uh, canvas, when we brought it to Boston, it happened to be the one year anniversary was around Easter. And, um, and so we had already celebrated her uh, Passover and we did that together in the hotel room. And then um, here it was good Friday. And I was like, Oh, and we're putting down their prayer canvas. And so I'm not going to be able to go to a church service. And so I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm so bummed. I was like, I so wish I could attend a, a a prayer service tonight or some kind of church service. And we're putting these down. And so I say a prayer. I'm like, dear heavenly father, you know, I, I hope to be able to be with like minded people and, and, and lift up my gratitude to you for giving your life for me. And as soon as I finished the prayer and my friend, she's standing right next to me, right over the hill comes a giant cross and a group of people. And they were doing the stations of the cross and they were carrying this giant cross and they, one of their stations they made at the foot of our prayer canvas. Oh, wow. So they had a whole message. <laughs> and so I got to have my church service right there. And Daryl's like, are you freaking kidding me? How the? <laughs> you know? And so, but this, you know, so the book is full of just powerful stories of people who had survived like, a, a, you know, a horrific tornado during that time, but they wanted to sign the canvas because what happened in Boston was man-made. It wasn't nature. 
and we should be able to stop these things, you know? And um, so there's just story after story after story in there that is really heartwarming and inspirational um, from across the United States. And can you tell our listeners again how to contact you if they want more information or maybe to join you on a project someday? Yeah, so um, I have a podcast called Carry the Light. Um, You can find it on Spotify or Apple iTunes as well. Um, And then also my website is carrythelight.com and it's K-A-R-I the light.com, hence my name. And also I have a contest that is going to be starting uh, now. The finalists have already been chosen. Uh, It's called the Illuminator Award. And so I'm going to be highlighting the top 10 um, illuminator nominees starting March 24th and ending on April 28th. So you actually get to listen to their stories and vote on who you think the illuminator, um, is of 2020. And there's amazing stories behind that. I also have interesting, uh, interviews with Dan Rather on what connects us, um, golf grades like Annika Sorenstam. Uh, I've talked to Chris Jericho, the wrestler and talking about how he never gave up. You know, in high school, people ask him what he wanted to do. He wanted to be a rock star and a wrestler, and people made fun of him. Well, look who's laughing now, <laughs> you know, because he stayed positive and was, like, went after it. So I had that, and then I'm going to totally geek out for a second. I grew up, like I said, rural Kentucky, right? So I grew up watching Little House on the Prairie, and we didn't have a lot of, you know, well, we didn't have tennis courts or anything like that where I grew up. We had the woods and that was it. So me and my sisters played a little house on the prairie like every day. It was crazy. Right. And then later on in life, I, I really enjoyed the show West Wing. Well, I just interviewed the other day, Melissa Gilbert, who was Laura Ingalls Wilder on little house on the prairie and uh, Timothy Busfield, who was also on West Wing and 30 something. And they've got such this positive story of like how they met their relationship, going through quarantine and um, different aspects of their life as an actor uh, in quarantine. And so that's, it was a really fun and uplifting conversation as well. So I've got these amazing quote, regular people doing amazing things that inspire you like the book 50 after 50. Um, And then I have a few celebrities and learning how they got there, why they got there, and how they look at the world right now. Like Annika Sorensdam had this great advice about looking at your children as flowers. And it came from her parents growing up. And and there was so much wisdom behind it. And so I didn't talk to her about her golf game. We just know that's good. You know, let's talk about something else, you know, kind of thing. So I invite people to please tune in and again, check out the, the website as well. And they can email me through there if they have any questions or would like to participate in anything that I have going on. Cool. Well, thanks so much for being here. And I'd like to also thank our listeners for tuning in. This is our show for this week. Hope it was helpful. <laughs> if you have any questions, you can uh, post them on social media, email me at lauraatpansociety.net. Thank you all for joining us for this edition of Pan Society Radio, and I'll see you next week. Music.